The following is a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com. And all God's children said, Amen. Why don't you give your neighbor a high five before you sit down? Y'all ready to hear the word of God today? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 10.10. John 10.10. We've been talking about this issue of accusations. And just so you know, I'd never planned on actually doing a series on accusations. I didn't even plan on really doing the first message that I did. And just the more I've been talking about it, the more God has really been showing me that for the last several months, I've been struggling with some accusations. I've been dealing with accusations of the enemy. And the thing that I love about this message is that every one of us here today deal with accusations. So this message today is for every one of us. There's not one person that is exempt from accusations. And listen, if you weren't able to be here over the last several weeks, I would encourage you to go back, listen to the podcast, to understand what accusations the enemy is bringing into your life all the time so that we do as the Word of God says, that we are not to be unaware of the devil's schemes. See, it's, it's a dangerous thing when we stick our head in the sands about the enemy. And just assume that all is well and everything's okay. Listen, we don't have to be fearful. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a position of victory. Christ has already overcome. He's already conquered. The problem is sometimes we're in the middle of a battle. And we get, we get a little weary sometimes and we want to give up and thank God, have you remembered me? So we need to understand the accusations of the enemy. Because God is not accusing you ever. I'm going to say that again. God is not accusing you ever ever. He's not. It's the devil that is accusing us. And he'll use every necessary means that he can use to accuse us. He will use other people to accuse us. He'll use some people in your life that they'll, they'll say things over your life all the time. Like, man, you're just so stupid. Or, man, you're going to always be like that. And why do you act like that? He'll even use the law, the word of God to accuse us. So long before the enemy steals, kills, and tries to destroy the things of God in your life, he has to get you to receive an accusation. He can't do it unless you receive an accusation. That's why the Bible says that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and all those that rise up against you in judgment you shall condemn. Meaning that there are going to be weapons, but we have to learn how to condemn the accusations of the enemy. He's got to get you to receive the accusation. Because if you don't condemn the accusation and you believe and receive the enemy's accusation against you, it begins to affect your circumstances. It begins to affect your situation and you're looking around going, God, I thought you said those weapons that are being formed against me won't prosper. When when they are prospering, we need to recognize we probably received an accusation somewhere. We need to go back and start condemning the accusations of the enemy. Amen? Amen? All right, so if you have your Bibles there in John 10, 10, it says this, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. If anything is being stolen in your life, if anything is being killed in your life, if anything is being destroyed in your life, you have to know today that is not God. It's not his plan. It's not his purpose. It's not his desire. Because here's Jesus saying, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. This is what Jesus is all about. Jesus is all about life. That's why the gospel really is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus is all about life. It's not about rules. 
It's not about your perfect behavior. We made Christianity about behavior. You're a follower of Christ, now do this, 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 this. And God's saying, no, 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 it's not about rules. It's not about behavior. It's about a relationship. It's about you falling in love with me because you understand how much I love you. Because when you fall in love with Jesus, you want to live for Jesus. You can't wait to get to the church on Sunday and hear the word of God, even if you've got to drive through some ice, sleet, and snow. For you mailman, amen, right? So it's all about life. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make bad people good. See, if he did, the moment you received him, you'd be good. You'd instantly be good. You wouldn't have any struggles that you have sometimes in our flesh. See, but Jesus came to make dead people live. Let me say that again. He didn't come for you just to, to do all the right things so that, that you make that you become this bad, this bad person now becomes a good person. When you fall in love with Jesus, the bad areas of your life become a lot gooder. All right? You do... I know that's not good English, but they become good in your life. When you got these bad things, good things happen, but that's not why Jesus came. He came to bring dead people back to life. Jesus is all about life. Say life. Life. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is all about life. He's about giving you life and giving you life more abundantly. Listen, if you're feeling tired all the time, you're run down. Some of you just might need to take a day off. A Sabbath? Oh, man, I think Jesus asked us to do that, didn't he? Take a rest because he's so mean. Man, God is just so mean. He just wants you to feel refreshed. That God. Such a killjoy, right? Some of you need to take a rest. But listen, if you're resting and you're still feeling run down all the time, there's probably some form of death operating in your life. Because Jesus came that you might have life. That you bounce out of bed in the morning going, yeah! Can't wait to get this day started. Because listen, the next stage after feeling run down is weakness, then it's sickness, and then it's death. And God never intended for these stages to be operating in the lives of a believer. God wants you to be full of life. He's all about life. Jesus came that you might have life. How much life? Abundant life. God doesn't want just a little bit of trickle of life flowing through you, where some days about for about 20 minutes of a day, you got a little life in you, and the rest of the 23 hours and 40 minutes, you're kind of just operating in death. He he wants you to operate in overflowing life, abundant life. One version says to the full. You're amazed at what God is doing in your life. Have you you ever noticed how attractive people are that are full of life? I mean, they may not be the best looking person in the world, and it's not necessarily whether they're a guy or a girl. When they're full of life, they're just attractive. People are attracted to people that are full of life. When, when that person walks in the door and there are a party waiting to happen, people are gra- they gravitate towards them. They're, a, they're attracted towards them. And, and I know some people that age-wise, they're not very old. But because they don't have life, they act old sometimes. And because they act old, they begin to look old. And because they begin to look old, they start acting even more old. And they walk around all the time like, oh, I'm just so creaky. And they're like 23 years old. But even as you get older, when you're full of life, you remain young. Like this church, we've got people of all ages that are young, recycled teenagers here. Jesus didn't come to give laws and more laws and laws abundantly. He came that we might have life and life more abundantly. One day when we get to heaven, no. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be good in heaven, but right now, abundant life. Life when when the economy is working out perfectly for us? No, right now. 
So in this verse in John 10.10, the, the thief here is singular. So we know that Jesus is talking about the devil. We know that he is the root of all thievery. But something that we have to understand about the devil is that the devil will work through other people. Some of you are going, yeah, uh-huh, I know, I'm married to him, right? <laughs> but he'll work through other people. In fact, if you back up a couple of verses, not me, by the way, uh, if you back up a couple of verses to verse 7, Jesus is still talking in the context of all this, and he says in verse 7, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, meaning Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way. Just so you know, it's not being good that gets you to heaven. It's through Jesus. Verse 8, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. Notice that it's plural. So it's talking about people that came before Jesus. They were thieves and robbers. So who are those that came before Jesus? The Pharisees. Yeah. The Sadducees. The, the chief priests. Those who were in charge of the synagogue. The religious leaders of Jesus' day. Why were they thieves and robbers? Here's why. Because their message was an accusation of disqualification. Let me say that again because you really need to grab a hold of that. They were thieves and robbers because their message was an accusation of disqualification. They were continually pointing out why you weren't qualified. Have you ever been around some people like that? They're constantly telling you why you can't do it, why you can't get that job, why you're not going to get a raise. That's what they were doing. And instead of qualifying you, they were always accusing you condemning you and disqualifying you. They would continually tell you why you can't serve God. Why because of your failures, God will not answer your prayers. Why because of your performance, God will not heal you. Why because of your past behaviors, you don't qualify for God's blessing and favor. Why because of your sin, you can't expect good things to happen in your life. Listen, if you find yourself under ministries or teachers like that, get out. If you're married to someone like that, get on your knees. Don't get out. Amen. Get on your knees and start praying for them. Speak words of life even when they don't speak words of life. Listen, it's no wonder why so many people in America would rather go to the movies in a sporting event rather than going to church. If all we're ever going to do as followers of Jesus Christ is point out other people's faults and disqualify them, let's close the doors and let's do something else. Amen. We're here to speak life. I said we're here to speak life. I'm here through my messages to speak life. We're here with one another to speak life. We're in our families to speak life. We're in our businesses to speak life. Listen, don't get around the water cooler and confess the problems of the organization like everybody else. Amen or oh me, right? We're there to speak life, not death. We're here to let people know who they are in Christ, not who they were in Adam. We're here to point them towards the tree of life, not towards the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm telling you today, this is how the devil works. And we have to recognize that he works through an accusation. It is continual. It is constantly bombarding you and I's lives to receive, to try to get us to receive the accusation. So Jesus said, all whoever came before me, they are thieves and robbers. And he's referring again to the religious leaders, especially of his day. So before the thief in verse 10 can still kill or destroy someone, that someone has to believe and receive an accusation. I, I talk about those two words all the time, believe 
and receive. And just so you know, they're powerful words. And you and I are believing and receiving something all the time. We're believing and receiving the promises of God. We're hearing something and we're going, man, Pastor Richie, I don't totally understand that, but I'm going to believe that and receive that because you're showing me that in the word of God. So I believe that God's a good God. I believe that God's for me. I believe that I'm the head and not the tail. I believe that I'm above and not beneath. I believe that what I'm going through, I'm going through. I'm going to come out the other side victorious. Or we're believing the accusation of the enemy. This problem is here to stay. Your circumstances are never going to change. This person in your life, they're always going to act this way. So we have to believe and receive the accusation. And by the way, the religious leaders of Jesus' times, they were experts in this area of accusation. In fact, the Greek word in the New Testament for accusation is categorio. And do you know how many times it's used in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? It's used 11 times. Two of them were by Jesus in John 5, 45, a verse that we looked at where Jesus said, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one, Moses, and he starts talking about how the law accuses us. But the other nine times were used by the religious leaders. And the religious leaders used it to bring an accusation against Jesus. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that it, that it tells us and reminds us, you have to be careful who you listen to. You have to be careful what you listen to. If you're around somebody and they're speaking death over your life, you have to make a conscious choice to say, I'm not believing it, I'm not receiving it. You can't just go, well, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words or names will never hurt me. Yes, they will. Because those word seeds get down into the soil of our heart and they begin to produce the accusation of the enemy. So you got to be careful who you're listening to and you got to be careful what you're listening to. Listen, Amarillo Fellowship is not the only good church in Amarillo. Amen? You're you're sure not, do we say amen to that, Pastor Richie, are we? Yeah, it's not the only good church in Amarillo, but it is definitely one heaven of a good church. Amen? I love to attend this church regularly and make sure that my family is here because I love what I hear when I'm here. Listen, when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. It's amazing when you begin speaking the word of God, how, man, as I'm listening to myself, I'm going, whoa, that's good. Where did that come from? I hadn't even thought about that. That's the goodness of God. When we start declaring the word of God, it's amazing how it comes alive in you. So we're not the only good church. But I do believe that we are a church that is qualifying you through the work of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we are saying that you can expect God's favor and blessing in your life. You can expect miraculous things to happen because of what Jesus has done in spite of your sins. Because Jesus' work is greater than your sins. And because of that, you can expect prosperity and success. Just so you know, I'm not just talking to your neighbor. I'm talking to you today. You can expect prosperity and success. And instead of receiving the enemy's accusation and having a fearful expectation of judgment, we can have a confident expectation that good things are going to happen to you. Can you imagine if you woke up in the morning and just said, man, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I'm believing something good is going to happen to me today. And you start saying that over your life, I'm telling you, supernatural things would start showing up in your life. But too often we get up in the morning going, you know, instead of saying, good Lord, it's morning, or good morning, Lord, we say, good Lord, it's morning, right? And we're, we're just going, oh God, what's going to happen today? And we, we get this anxiousness that the enemy's trying to bring into our life. 
So we can't receive the accusation. Listen, take your eyes off of yourself. Man, the the more I'm studying this, the more I'm recognizing the typically self-centeredness, self-righteousness, self-focus is about the only thing that locks God out of our lives. It's not even our failures. It's when I think, I can do it. God, I can be righteous by myself. I I can do well enough in order to be pleasing to you. So get your eyes off of yourself and put your eyes on Jesus. Take your eyes off of your obedience and put your eyes on Jesus' obedience. Preach it, Pastor Richie. How often, though, are we focused on our disobedience? How often do we have people in our lives that are focusing us on our disobedience? Are you still doing that? I thought you said you were going to quit that. So nine times in the four Gospels, it's used against Jesus. I want to look at just one of them today. Matthew chapter 12 says this. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Here's why they're asking, that they might accuse him. Now now notice the first three words that they, the religious leaders, use were, is it lawful? Is Is it okay according to the rules to heal somebody on the Sabbath. Now, for those of us that are understanding God's grace, it is so stinking obvious. We're like, are you seriously even asking the question? Is it lawful to do good? Yes. Pastor Richie, is it lawful to help somebody out? Yes. Is it lawful for me to grab some some tags off the blessing tree? Yes. Right? Is it lawful to heal? So when we see this verse, it's, it's how an accusation comes about. It's what we looked at a few weeks ago. It's sometimes through people, and sometimes it's through people using the law. You see, the law is against the man with the withered hand. I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament, but the law is against the man with the withered hand because the law says that only those with perfect limbs, only those that are without moles or blemishes, can step into the holy place in the presence of God according to the Old Testament. Now, I think that'd probably disqualify most of us, right? Got some moles and some blemishes on us, right? So it disqualifies. But Jesus came to qualify us. Say that again. Jesus came to qualify us. But there are people who are still trying to disqualify you. Sometimes well-meaning people. So you've got to be careful. Listen, don't think that the devil is going to show up in your life with a red cape and a pitchfork and say, you're unworthy. Now, I think it would be awesome if people in our lives that are bringing accusation against us, they might be normally dressed, but the moment they brought an accusation, saw it suddenly, they grew horns, had a pitchfork standing, and they'd go, you're not worthy. We go, oh, not of God, right? It'd be really simple then. It'd be so easy to recognize. Oh yeah, pitchfork, okay, that's an accusation. But it doesn't happen that way. Many times the devil will use people who seem very spiritual, but they're very religious. And what they'll do is they'll place sacrifice and obedience higher than love and mercy. And they'll tell you all the reasons why you're not qualified for heaven or other blessings because of your sins and behaviors. But listen, we have a wonderful God. Man, I hope you're falling in love with Jesus. We have a wonderful God who gave us his son who died on the cross to qualify people who could never be qualified by our own behavior. Just so you know, you and I could never, in our best day, in our best week, in our, in our best moment, we could never qualify to be right with God. 
So we need to be careful even of Christian religion because, listen, Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. It's about connecting with the heart of God. It's about us keeping our eyes upon God and not our own behaviors. So let me show you some of the ways that an accusation works because there are many of you that are facing this and we often, many of us, we don't even recognize that we have actually received an accusation. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I've been talking for the last several weeks about this is so that we learn how to start recognizing the accusations of the enemy. That it will, will this have one of these buttons that goes off, a, a siren in our spirit. The moment an accusation comes, bing, 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 accusation, bing, 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 accusation, right? We become aware of it. Because listen, if we don't recognize the root issue of having received an accusation, we're going to keep wondering why, even as followers of Jesus Christ, why weapons that have been formed against us are prospering. Listen, there are parents who are indulging their teenagers, giving them whatever they want and letting them do whatever they want to do. And people watching this behavior, they're, they're recognizing that it's not a very good thing, that it's actually damaging their children. But yet the parents, they seem so blinded to it. And what you will typically find when that happens is that there has been an accusation against the parent and they ended up receiving the accusation. And the accusation normally goes something like this. Maybe you didn't spend enough time with them when they were a child. Maybe because of work you were really busy or because of a divorce you were just not able to spend very much time with them. And now because of your lack of time with them, you're feeling guilty. And now that they're older, you're giving them as much in anything and everything that you can. Whatever money you have, you give them. Not really understanding that what you're doing to them is actually worse than what you did before. See, but instead of looking to the past and focusing on all that you did wrong today, not tomorrow... Today, look to Jesus and start fresh today. Recognize that there's been an accusation. Because see, people receive the accusation and then they try to overcompensate. They try to atone for their sin instead of receiving Jesus' finished work that removed their sin. Listen, your, your mistakes in parenting, they're forgiven. The, the way that you blew it and said the wrong thing, did the wrong thing, weren't there, whatever it was, it's forgiven. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ today. You just have to receive it. See, the problem is we become sin conscious instead of righteousness conscious. And because of sin conscious, they start overcompensating and spoiling their, their children. Here's another one, because I talk to people all the time who will tell me why they're not qualified to receive healing or blessing. I want to remind you today that as a child of God that you are highly favored, greatly blessed, and deeply loved. If you've asked Jesus into your heart and life, received him as your Savior and Lord, you are highly favored, greatly blessed, and deeply loved. You can't help it. If you became a child of God, no matter what's happening around you, you're highly favored, greatly blessed, and deeply loved. Now, what we have a problem with sometimes is a couple of circumstances going on around us, and we think, God, where's the blessing? Right? Have you ever done that? had that happen with your kids? You've done all kinds of amazing things for them. You do all kinds of things, not spoiling them, but you're doing really nice things for them. And then all of a sudden you say, no, hon, you're really not going to be able to do that. Oh, man, you don't really love me. If you really love me, you'd do that, right? Sometimes that's the way it is with God. We've got to recognize we're highly favored, greatly blessed, and deeply loved because of his goodness. So I talk to people all the time who tell me why they're not qualified because of a failure on their part. They did something wrong. And then the enemy uses that wrong behavior that violated the word of God to accuse them and they receive the accusation. Okay, yeah, because I did that. 
If you were raised like I was, there were some sins that were just almost unpardonable. You remember that? Those of you raised like I was, I mean, there were levels of sin. You know, a, a little worry, that's totally fine and acceptable with God. But if you do this, oh, I'm not sure. People buy into that and they believe that. And the enemy uses the law to accuse them. But what they need to do is that remember that they weren't qualified to receive by their behavior in the first place. They were qualified because of Jesus. And if God is bigger than the boogeyman, he's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. All you VeggieTail people are saying amen to that, Pastor Richie, second opinions, right? Which he is, he's bigger than all of your shortcomings and failures. Let me say that again. God is bigger than all of your shortcomings and failure. His work is greater than your shortcomings and failures. We just need to activate Isaiah 54, 17, which tells us what we're to do. That we are to condemn every tongue which rises against you in judgment. Listen, if you feel a condemning spirit trying to come on you, that is not God. Because the enemy is a thief. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy the things of God in your life. And he'll use thieves and robbers to do that. I've shared this before, but I, I think it fits so well. I wanted to share it again. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he hung between two thieves. Now, it's interesting because Jesus could have placed himself at any point in time. He could have died by himself. He could have died at a different place. But he placed himself between two thieves. Have you ever wondered why he did that? Jesus died to redeem us, and he came to redeem us from those things which were stolen from us because thieves steal from you. So Jesus' act of redeeming mankind on the cross happened between two thieves, and these th two thieves represent things that were stolen from us because we know that one of them gave their life to Christ on the cross. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I, I will. But as a Jew, he was thinking about the millennial reign of the Messiah, which is in the future. So this thief represents the future. The other thief didn't surrender his life to Christ, so he represents the past. Things that we won't let go of. Things that we won't turn away from. Things that we want to continue to hang on to. And let me just say, if something is in your past, if there is something in your past that is deciding your current behavior, it isn't a past issue, it's a present issue. Listen, if somebody hurt you 5, 10, 15 years ago, and every time you think them or see them, you're going, oh, it's not a past issue. It's a present issue. If every time you start thinking about a financial issue, and you remember a time when you were really broke, and you're worried about finances all the time, it's not a past issue, it's a present issue. We need to let go of the past. We need to let go of all of those people that wronged us, all the things that happened bad in our past, because God never did any of those things to us. The enemy did. But even what the enemy means for evil, God will use it for our good. So let go of the past. Just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Right? Let it go right there. Amen. So we need to let go of the past. So one thief represents the future and one thief represents the past. And then we find Jesus right there in the center because God is always the I am. God is not confined by time. If time is greater than God, then time is, if God is confined by time, then time is greater than God. And God is not confined by time. He's outside of time. 
I know that blows our minds away, but man, someday I'm, I'm sure that Einstein's going to love hanging out with Jesus going, oh, now I get it, the theory of relativity. I mean, he's standing outside of time and he's watching all time happen. See, that's why God was able to, on the cross, take all of the sins of those of us that had not yet been born and put them on Jesus because he's outside of time. You know, I know that some of you believe, I'm going to digress a second real quick, there's some of you believe that you have to confess every sin in order to be forgiven. Listen, when you confess your sin saying, I'm unworthy to be a child of God, that's when God comes into your heart and life, all your sins, past sin, present sin, future sins are completely forgiven by God. Because God, all of your sins when Jesus died were future sins. Now we can acknowledge that we did wrong. God, that's not who I am. But we don't have to confess our sin to be right with God. We're already in right standing because of what Jesus did, not what we do. Preach it, Richie. He's outside of time. God is always the I am. He is never the I was or I used to be. I used to open up the Red Sea, but I can't do those kind of miracles anymore. I used to make heaven or manna from heaven, but I forgot the recipe, right? He's not the God of I was or I used to be, nor is he the God of I will be one day. One day when I come back, I will have no more sickness happening in our bodies. There will be healing one day. One day I'll provide for you. One day, one day life's going to be good. One day. No, he's the God of I am. He's the God of today. He said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, now I am. Listen, for those of you that are walking through some stuff and you're thinking, oh God, one day you're going to do this. No, he's saying, I am. I am your healer. I am your provider. Pastor Richie, why is it not showing up? Have you received an accusation? Is there a weapon being formed against you? We just got to say, God, you're the God of I am. So if I find a promise in your word, I am said it. And because I am said it, it means I am happening right now. I am making it happen right now. Amen? I am whatever you need. That's why Jesus is at the center between the two thieves. The one thief represents the past because the past will rob you. Many people don't recognize, but the, the past is robbing you of joy and happiness and experiencing joy and happiness with people in your lives right now. If you live with regret, your, your past will rob you. And you can tell when you're living in your past because you'll use words like, if only. If only I had done this. If only I hadn't done that. If only I'd taken this job. If only I had married this person. If only. Then the other thief represents the future. Because you can allow the future to steal from you today. You can. There are some people, Pam and I had to get to the place where we decided we were going to enjoy the church right where it's at. We kept, kept thinking, well, when it gets to this, it's going to be awesome. No, we're enjoying it right now. Same with our kids. We just have decided that we're going to enjoy our kids every stage of the way. And for the most part, a few moments here in time, we have. We've enjoyed them every stage of the way. Thank you, Christian. If only, if only. Then the other thief again represents the future. Because it, it will, will steal from you through worry. You're being worried about what the future holds. You're worried about the future and what it's going to mean. And, and you, you'll typically use words like, what if? What if the economy gets bad? Does the economy determine if you're blessed or not? Who's your provider? What if your children don't do as well as you'd hope they would do in school? What if? What if? Let me remind you again, worry is not a spiritual gift. So enjoy today while it is today. 
Because if you let tomorrow steal from today, you'll live with what if. The past is the thief of regret, if only. The future is the thief of worry, what if. We can't allow the accusations of the past or the accusations about our future to cause you and I to miss out on today. Today, you and I can silence the accusations of the enemy. Today, and can I tell you, in your life, you're the only one that can. I wish I could do it for you, or I wish somebody around you could do it for you, but you're the only one. How do I do it, Pastor Richie? Isaiah 54, 17 gives us the blueprint. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Let me remind you again, there are going to be weapons formed against you. So when a weapon comes up, don't say, oh God, what's happening? Recognize the enemy's coming against you, but they're not going to prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Not your spouse. You shall condemn. An accusation comes in, you condemn those accusations. This is the heritage. This is part of our inheritance as followers of Jesus Christ. That we have an inheritance that we can condemn the accusations of the enemy, of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness, our right standing with God, is from me, says the Lord. The accusations are non-stop. But listen, we don't have to walk out here today in fear because God has given you and I the blueprint how to overcome the accusations of our past and the accusations of our future so that we can live today full of life, full of an abundant life that God has for us. Not hoping one day things are going to be better or wishing things hadn't happened and that's what's affecting our day today. Simply by living in today, the abundant life God has for us. So I want to pray over us today. And I'm going to... This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit amarillofellowship.com.